Welcome to Rambling of an Insomniatic Mind. I'm Alexis, your host, and tonight I'll be reading from a book called More Horowitz Horror, More Stories You Wish You Never Read by Anthony Horowitz. Tonight's title is The Hitchhiker. Why did my father have to stop? I told him not to. I knew it was a bad idea, of course. He didn't listen to me. Parents never do. But it would never have happened if he'd only driven on. We'd been out for the day, just the three of us, and it was great. Really happy day it had been. My 15th birthday, and they had taken me to Southworld, a small town in Suffolk Coast. We'd gotten there just in time for lunch and had spent the afternoon walking on the beach, looking in the shops and losing money in the crummy arcade down by the pier. A lot of people would think that Southworld was a rubbish place to go, especially on a birthday. But they'd be wrong. The truth is that it's special. From the multicolored beach huts that have probably been there since Queen Victoria's time, to the cannons on the cliff that have certainly been there a whole lot longer. It's got a lighthouse and a brewery and a sloping village green that all look as if they come from an old English novel. None of the shops seem to sell anything that anyone would actually want. And there's one on the high street that has these fantastic wooden toys. A whole circus that comes to life for 25 cents. And the talking head of Horatio Nelson, who puts his telescope up to his missing eye and sings. You get real fish and chips in Southworld. Fish that were still swimming while you're driving to the restaurant. Sticky puddings with custard. I don't need to go on. The whole place is old-fashioned and so English that it makes you want to smile. We started back at about 5 o'clock. There was a real Suffolk sunset that evening. The sky was pink and gray and dark blue, and somehow there was almost too much of it. I sat in the back of the car, and the door slammed shut. I felt that strange, heavy feeling you get at the end of a really good day. I was sad that it was over, but I felt happy and tired glad it was over too. It was only about an hour's drive, and as we left Southworld, it began to rain. There's nothing strange about that. The weather often changes rapidly in Suffolk. By the time we reached the highway, the rain was falling quite heavily, slanting down, gray needles in the breeze. And there, ahead of us on the road, was a man. Walking quickly, his hands clenched the side of his jacket, pulling it around him. He didn't turn around as we approached, but he must have heard us coming. Suddenly, his hand shot out. One thumb jutted out. The universal symbol of the hitchhiker. He wanted to lift. There are about 15 seconds until we reached him. My father was the first to speak. I wonder where he's going. You're not going to stop, my mother said. Why not? It's horrible evening. 
Look at the weather. And there you have my parents. My father is a dentist, and maybe that's why he's always trying to be nice to people. He knows that nobody in their right mind really wants to see him. He's tall and disheveled, the sort of man who goes to work with his hair unbrushed and with his socks that don't match. My mother works three days a week at a real estate agency. She's much tougher than him. When I was young, she was always the one who would send me to bed. He'd let me stay up all night if she wasn't there. There's one more thing I have to tell you about them. They both look quite a bit older than they actually are. There's a reason for this. My older brother, Eddie, he died suddenly when he was 12 years old. That was nine years ago, and my parents have never really recovered. I miss him too. Of course, he bullied me sometimes, like all big brothers do, but his death was a terrible thing. It hurt us all, and we know the pain will never go away. Anyway, it was typical of my dad to want to stop and offer the man a lift, and just as typical of my mom to want to drive on. In the back seat, I said, don't stop, Dad. But it was already too late. Just 15 seconds passed since we saw the hitchhiker, and already we were slowing down. I told him not to stop, but I'd no sooner said it than we did. The rain was coming down harder now, and it was very dark, so I couldn't see very much of the man. He seemed quite large, towering over the car. He had long hair hanging down over his eyes. My father pressed the button and lowered the window. Where are you going? he asked. Ipswich. Ipswich was about 20 miles away. My mother didn't say anything. I could tell she was uncomfortable. You were heading there on foot? My father asked. My car broke down. Well, we're heading that way. We can give you a lift. John. My mother spoke my father's name quietly, but already it was too late. The damage was done. Thanks, the man said. He opened the back door. I suppose I'd better explain. The A-12 highway is a long, dark, ominous road that often goes through empty countryside with no building in sight. It was like that where we were now. There were no street lights. Pulled in on one hard shoulder, we must have been practically invisible to the other traffic rushing past. It was the one place in the world where you'd have to be crazy to pick up a stranger. Because, you see, everyone knows Fair about Fairfield. It's a big, ugly building not too far from Woodbridge, surrounded by a wall that's 50 feet high with spikes along the top and metal gates that open electronically. The name is quite new. It used to be called East Suffolk's Maximum Security Prison for the Criminally Insane. And now, we were only about 10 miles away from it. That's the point I'm trying to make. When you're 10 miles away from a lunatic asylum, you don't stop in the dark to pick up someone you've never met. You have to say to yourself that maybe, just maybe, there could have been a breakout 
that night. Maybe one of the loonies has cut the throat of the guard at the gate and slipped out into the night. And so it doesn't matter if it's raining. It doesn't even matter if the local nuclear power station in Sizewell has just blown up and radioactive slush is coming down in buckets. You just don't stop. The door slams shut. The man eased himself into the back seat. Rainwater glistening on his jacket. The car drove forward again. I looked at him, trying to make out his features in the half-light. He had a long face with a square chin and small narrow eyes. His skin was pale as if he hadn't been outdoors in a while. His hair was somewhere between brown and gray, hanging down in clumps. His fingers were unusually long. One hand resting on his thigh and his fingers reached all the way to his knee. Have you been out for the day? He asked. Yes. My father knew he had annoyed my mother and he was determined to be cheerful and chatty to show that he wasn't ashamed of what he'd done. We've been in Southworld. It's a beautiful place. Oh yes. He glanced at me and I saw that he had a scar running over his eye. It began on his forehead and ended on his cheek, and it seemed to have pushed the eye a little to one side. It wasn't quite level with the other one. Do you know Southworld, my father asked? No. So where are you coming from today? The man thought for a moment. I broke down near Lowestoff, he said, and somehow I knew he was lying. For a start, Lowestoff was a long way right up Norfolk. If he'd broken down there, how could he have managed to get all the way to Southworld? And why bother? It would have been easier to jump on a train and go straight to Ipswich. I opened my mouth to say something, but the man looked at me again, more sharply this time. Maybe I was imagining it, but he could have been warning me. Don't say anything. Don't ask any difficult questions. What's your name? My mother asked. I don't know why she wanted to know. Relic, he said. I'm Ian Relic. He smiled slowly. This is your son in the back? Yes, that's Jacob. He's 15 today. His birthday? The man uncurled his hand and held it out to me. Happy birthday, Jacob. Thank you. I took the hand. It was like holding a dead fish. At the same time, I glanced down and saw that his sleeve had pulled back, expressing his wrist. There was something glistening on his skin, and it wasn't rainwater. It was dark red, trickling down all the way to the edge of his hand, rising over the fleshy part of his thumb. Blood. Whose blood? His own? He pulled his hand away, hiding it behind him. He knew I had seen it. Maybe he wanted me to. We drove on. A cloud must have burst because it was really lashing down. You could hear the rain thumping on the roof of the car, and the windshield wipers were having to work hard to sweep it aside. I couldn't believe we'd been walking on the beach only a few hours before. Lucky we got in, my mother said, reading my mind. It's bad, my father said. 
It's hell, the man muttered. Hell. It was a strange choice of word. He shifted in the seat. What do you do? he asked. I'm a dentist. Really? I haven't seen a dentist. Not for a long time. He ran his tongue over his teeth. The tongue was pink and wet. The teeth were yellow and uneven. I guess he hadn't cleaned them in a while. You should go twice a year, my father said. You're right, I should. There was a run rumble of thunder, and at that exact moment, the man turned to me and mouthed two words. He didn't say them, he just mouthed them, making sure my parents couldn't see. You're dead. I stared at him, completely shaken. At first I thought I must have misunderstood him. Maybe he said something else, and the words had gotten lost in the thunderclap. But then he nodded slowly, telling me that I wasn't wrong. That's what he'd said, and that's what he'd meant. I felt every bone in my body turn to jelly. That thing about the asylum, when we'd stopped and picked up the hitchhiker, I hadn't really believed that he was a madman who'd just escaped. Often you get scared by things, but you can still tell yourself that it's just your imagination and that you're being stupid. And after all, there are a lot of stories about escaped lunatics, and none of them ever were true. But now, I wasn't so sure. Had I imagined it? Had he said something else? You're dead, I thought back. Picturing the movement of his lips, he'd said it all right. We were doing about 40 miles per hour, punching through the rain. I turned away, trying to ignore the man on the seat beside me. Mr. Relic. There was something strange about the name. Without really thinking, I found myself writing it on the window, using the tip of my finger. R-E-L-L-I-K The letters formed out of condensation inside the car, hung there for a moment. Then the two, I's in the, the two L's in the middle began to run. It reminded me of blood. The name sounded Hungarian or something. It made me think of someone in Dracula. Where do you want us to drop you? My mother asked. Anywhere, Mr. Relic said. Where do you live in Ipswich? There was a pause. Blade Street, he said. Blade Street? I don't think I know it. It's near the center. My mother knew every street in Ipswich. She lived there for ten years before she married my father. But she had never heard of Blade Street. And why had the hitchhiker paused before he answered her question? Had he been making it up? The thunder rolled over us a second time. I'm going to kill you, Mr. Relic said. But he said it so quietly that only I heard it this time. I knew for certain. He was mad. He had escaped from Fairfield. We had picked him up in the middle of nowhere, and he was going to kill us all. I leaned forward, trying to catch my parents' eyes. 
and that was when I happened to look into the rearview mirror. That was when I saw the word that I had written on the window just a few moments before. R-E-L-L-I-K. But reflected in the mirror, it said something else. K-I-L-L-E-R. What was I supposed to do? What would you do if you were in my situation? Were we still doing 40 miles an hour in the rain? Following a long empty road with fields on one side, trees on the other, and thick darkness everywhere. We were trapped inside the car with a man who could have a knife on him, or even a gun, or something worse. My parents didn't know anything, but for some reason the man had made himself known to me. So what were my choices? I could scream. He would lash out and stop me before I had even opened my mouth. I could imagine those long fingers closing on my throat. He would strangle me in the back seat and my parents would drive on without even knowing what had happened until it was their turn. I could trick him. I could say I was feeling car sick. I could make them stop the car and then when we got out, I could somehow persuade my parents to run for it. But that was a bad idea, too. We were safer while we were still moving. At least Mr. Relic, or whatever his real name was, couldn't attack my father while he was driving. The car would go out of control. He couldn't reach my mother, either. That would mean lunging diagonally across the car and somehow getting over the back seat to her. No, I was the only one in danger right now. But that would change the moment we stopped. Could I talk to him? Reason with him? Hope against hope that I had imagined it all, and that he had didn't mean us any harm. And then I remembered. I was sitting behind my mother for a reason. When we had set out that morning, my father had told me to sit there because there was something wrong with the door on the other side. It was an old car, a Volkswagen station wagon and the catch on one of the passenger doors had broken. My mother had said it was dangerous and had told me to sit on the left-hand side and to be sure that I wore my seatbelt. I was wearing it now, but Mr. Relic wasn't. I shifted around in my seat as if trying to get more comfortable. Mr. Relic was instantly alert. I could see that if I was going to try something, I would have to move fast. He had told me who he was. He knew that I knew. He was almost expecting me to try something. We will drop you off at the next exit, my father said. That'll be fine. But the hitchhiker had no intention of getting out the next roundabout. His face darkened. The eye with the scar twitched as I watched it. His hand slid into his jacket and curled around something underneath the material. I didn't have to see it to know what it was. A knife. A moment later his hand reappeared and I caught the glint of silver. I knew exactly what was going to happen. He would attack me 
My father would stop the car. What else could he do? Then it would be his turn. And then my mother's. I yelled out, and then everything happened in a blur. I had already gotten myself into position, curled up in the corner with my shoulders pressed into into the side of the car to give me leverage. At the same time, my legs shot out. Mr. Relic had made a bad mistake. With his hand underneath his jacket, he couldn't defend himself. Both my feet slammed into him, one into his shoulder, one just above his waist. I had kicked him with all my strength, and as my legs uncoiled, he was thrown against the opposite door. The catch gave way. Mr. Relic didn't even have time to cry out. The door swung open, and he was thrown out, out into the night and the rain. My father must have speeded up without my noticing, because we were doing almost 60, and then it seemed the wind picked, wind plucked Mr. Relic away. We hit the road in a spinning, splattering somersault, and it was worse than that. Although I hadn't seen it, a tractor trailer had been coming the other way, doing about the same speed as us. Mr. Relic fell under its front wheel. The truck minced, made minced meat of him. My mother screamed. My father stopped the car. The tractor trailer stopped. Suddenly, everything was silent apart from the rain hammering on the roof. My father twisted around and stared at me. The side door was still hanging open. What? He began. Quickly, I explained. I told him everything. The name on the window. The lies Mr. Relic had told. The things he had said to me. The blood on his hand. The knife. My mother was in total shock. Her face was white, and she was crying quietly. My father waited until I finished. Then he had reached out and laid a hand on my arm. It's all right, Jacob, he said. Wait here. He got out of the car and walked up the road. I could see him out the back window. The truck driver had stopped on the hard shoulder, and the two of them met. There was no sign of Mr. Relic. He must have been spread out over a fair bit of the A-12. It had been horrible. What had happened... But I wasn't afraid anymore. I had done what I had to do. I'd saved both my parents and myself. We should have never stopped. My father walked back to the car. The rain had eased off a little, but he was still soaking wet. He's going to call the police, my father said. We're nearly there, so I said we'd go on. He's going to give our information to the police. Did you tell him what happened, I asked? Yes. My father got back in behind the steering wheel. My mother was still crying. He knows you did the right thing, Jacob. Don't worry. We're going to leave now. We drove for another ten minutes, and then, just past the sign for Woodridge, we turned off down a narrow lane. It twisted through the woodland, and for about a mile, then we came to a high brick wall with spikes set along the top. We stopped in front of a pair of metal gates with an intercom system just in front. My father leaned out the car window and said something.
the gates clicked and swung open automatically. I knew where we were. We had come to Fairfield's, the Suffolk's Maximum Security Hospital for the criminally insane. My father had to tell them what happened, of course. He'd agreed on with the truck driver. This is where Mr. Relic had come from, and we had just killed him in self-defense. They had to know. I asked my father if that was why we had come here. Yes, Jacob, he said. That's why we're here. We drove toward a big Victorian house with towers and barred windows and blood-red bricks. I could see how the place had gotten its name, though. It was surrounded by attractive gardens, the lawn spreading out for some distance underneath the high-voltage searchlights. Before we had even stopped, the front door of the house opened, and a bald, bearded man in white coat came running out. Wait here, my father said again. I waited with my mother while the two of them spoke, but this time I managed to hear a little of what my father had said. My father did most of the talking. You were wrong, Dr. Fielding. You were wrong. We should have never taken him. None of us could have known. He was doing so well. He was fine in Southworld. He was fine. I thought he was normal. But then this. I don't know what to say to you, Dr. Fisher. I don't. Never again, Dr. Fielding. For God's sake, never again. The two men came to the car. My father leaned in. We're going in with Dr. Fielding, he said. All right, I said. My mother didn't look up as I got out of the car. She didn't even say goodbye. That made me a little sad. Dr. Fielding put a hand on my shoulder. Let's go inside, Jacob, he said. We have to talk about what happened. All right, I said. Later on, they told me that the hitchhiker's name was Mr. Renwick, and that I had misheard him. Apparently, Mr. Renwick was a gardener who had been working outside Lawstruft. His car had broken down, and he had managed to hitchhike as far as Southworld, which was where we picked him up. They told me it was mud I had seen on his wrist, not blood and that they had scraped him off the termac he had been holding onto a knife but a cigar cigarette case. That was what they told me, but I didn't believe any of it. After all, they also told me a lot of lies after my brother Eddie fell off under that train. They even wanted me to believe that I had pushed him. Nobody ever understood. So here I am, back in my room, looking out of the barred window at the same old view. I had such a nice day in Southworld. I just hope I won't have to wait another nine years before they take me out again. And that concludes tonight's short story, The Hitchhiker.
Thank you for listening. Have a good night or a good morning, whichever you're trying to do.